Ever wonder what a planet full of colonists do when faced with certain death? <laughs> Why they argue with their rescuers, of course. It's episode two of season three, and it's coming at you right about now. Turn on your hot light. Let it shine wherever you go. It'll bring a happy glow for all the... That's a pretty good Neil Diamond. I got to be... I've been working on it. In the middle of a young boy's dream. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. And he goes, he goes, don't wake me up too soon. I'm going to take a ride across the moon. And allow me to welcome you formally as an ambassador, as to establish diplomatic relations with your ear holes. And with me, as always, is... Commander Davey Dave. Commander Davey Dave. It's me, Wesley. Uh, Wes? I'm really confused. Uh, Wait, wait, still? Yes, Commander. The episode is called Ensigns of Command, and I'm not in command at all. (laughs) You're not even in this episode, Wesley. Oh, you you see me in the transporter (laughs) room for five seconds. Yes, yes. You know what I did at home? I rewound it just to see if that really was Crusher. But I don't understand. And and it's called Ensign. I'm an Ensign. I'm an acting Ensign. Hold on. Hold on a second. Uh, Crusher, shut up. We've got someone else on the line. Who is it? Hey, baby, it's me, Maurice. Remember me, Mr. Roddenberry, from the party up in the hills? I'll never forget. That's the one we did jello shots off Pat Stewart's butt cheeks. Caw, caw. Do you remember how firm they were? I'll never forget those jello shots. No, Pat's butt cheeks. Caw! Do you know that I represent Mr. Will Wheaton of Stand By Me fame? Yeah, of course. My poor Will Wheaton isn't even represented in this episode about ensigns. What is this, a namby-pamby daycare center for post-Stephen King movie teens? Mr. Roddenberry, please. I've got my own franchises to imagine. Oh, my goodness. You know what I have in mind next? Cool. Do you have any idea? Caw, caw. I'm on pins and needles, Mr. Roddenberry. Please tell me, baby. Picture a portrait. A space station that visitors come to. Oh. They come to it. Get oh, it? Oh, oh. They get oh, there. Oh, then the drama. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? The best part of this, listener, is that we just refuse to give up. <laughs> we refuse to give up on the bit. And uh, future Dave, there goes uh, half an hour of your life trying to pull that thing apart. <laughs> okay, well, I need to slake my thirst. Mm. Ugh, that, that one did not want to open. I'm back to my beautiful bubbly Perrier. So anyway, we're very excited about tonight's episode. Right. Uh, so excited because it's Ensigns of Command, the the second episode of the third season, and this is a peppy little episode. It's got a little bit of everything, yes. and uh, it features a robot and a cranky Picard and, and some kind of different alien peoples. It's really, it's got everything you could ever want. There's a lot to unpack in this one. Despite what the great bird thought, somebody is always commanding when it comes to Starfleet. And of course... It's Picard. No, wait, it's number one. No, no, actually, it's Data. There's so much goddamn commanding in this episode, Andrew. Wow. The Enterprise rolls up on a planet colonized by Earthies, but wrongly so. 
And the Enterprise's task is to remove these colonizers before the rightful heir of the planet, the Sheliak, show up to Mm. put down roots. Do you think the Sheliak are are named after Shelly Hack? who replaced Farrah Fawcett Majors and Charlie's Angels. Just a question. Great Bird, Great Bird, is that a hidden message? Is this one of your unique hidden names? Don't tell Majel, but Shelly Hack was my favorite angel. Caw, caw! (laughs) For some reason, Data alone is sent down to tell the inhabitants of Tau Sigma 5 that their asses are going to be rescued, Mm. only to find out that the Sigma 5 inhabitants don't care about their asses at all. Meanwhile, up top, Picard and company decide to head off the Sheliak and negotiate more time for the evacuation. Picard has to Picard, and God bless it, he uses counselor to counsel. Number one shouts orders at the robot that they sent down to negotiate the evac, and Data has to positronically figure out how to evacuate a planet of reluctant-to-be-evacuated colonists, all on his own. Well, save for the help for his new flirty friend, Marjorie. Where do you get this name Marjorie? Because she's not named Marjorie. Isn't it? No. What's her name? It's Ardrian McKenzie. Ardrian? Ardrian, with an apostrophe. <laughs> his new. I love that you call her Marjorie. His new flirty friend, Marjorie. Will Picard be able to stave off the impending doom of the colonists? Will Data uh-huh. be able to wake up after his ass gets zapped? Will Deanna <laughs> Troy finally get to shine? Spoilers. The empath shines. Oh, she shines so brightly. I mean, I would think after our best of worst of episode that you would be not wanting to go back into the ass zapping because it just encourages the entities out there oh, yeah. to come and, and get to zapping. Well, we've been on hiatus. I forgot all about that. That was months ago. Ah, okay. All right. It does start off with the Enterprise being contacted by the Sheliak after 111 years via my favorite, a recorded message. My favorite personal touch is let's have a recorded message from the Sheliak corporate, they're called. And I actually, I love this race. I think they're so great because they're so damn alien. They are. Not not since Armus have we seen something that looks like that. Well, and it looks kind of looks like Armus, but it looks like Armus wearing a quilt instead of like a bunch of goo. It's just like someone threw a quilt over Armus. You know, nighty night, Armus. Hey! Have a good sleep. Hey, get that blanket off of me, goddammit. Well, you'll get cold in space, Armus. Armus is constantly in the buff. <laughs> Harvest is constantly raw dogging it. I yeah, but I don't like the feel of fabric against my cold black goo. But they have no face. Right. I don't know if this is meant to be some sort of metaphor for corporations, but it has such a corporate feel. I mean, it's like dealing with an insurance company right. dealing with right. these folks. Yeah. Because you can't communicate with them, right? They only really figure out how to communicate with them when they start like breaking down the language of this very dense document, the treaty that they have with the Federation. So. The Treaty of Armand. Armand. It's huge, right? It's this, this 500,000 million word treaty that's really complex. The contract stuff just drives me insane. <laughs> yeah. But I also like the fact that they're called the Sheliak Corporate. I mean, I just kept thinking the whole time. It was like, it's like Picard had called them and got like the phone tree you know your call is important to us please hold as we are serving other galactic ruling bodies hello it's me the captain of the galaxy class vessel press one if you're calling about a treaty oh god oh hold on deanna i'm dealing with some bullshit again 
Press 2 if you're attempting to evacuate a human infestation. And press 3 if you're calling about a timeshare on an H-class planet. I'm pushing zero for the goddamn operator. (laughs) Press star to hear these options again. Oh, my God. But the humans are like bugs to them, right? They have that great ship interior. They actually beam over there. Picard and and Troy beam over there. Oh, my God, yes. And it's just all kind of black. And, you know, God only knows what's going on in that ship. It's just not very human friendly. No, it's cool. And and finally, you know, the season started with Wesley and his his nanobots. It was not the greatest way of starting out the season. Then we get this thing. And, and here they start giving us the things that I've wanted so much, like getting off of the ship. They've got a, a whole big set yes. down on the planet and then beaming over to an alien ship. Right. Seeing new aliens. Mm-hmm. And then and then. Troy actually does some empathing or whatever you want to call it. When you actually get even a little snippet of action, you get the right? data. You know, data, first of all, it was a tricorder sighting. I don't remember the last time we saw a tricorder. Remember how excited I was about the tricorders? Yeah. They've been few and far between. So he had his tricorder out, but he also whipped that phaser out and had some phaser action in there. So this was good time. I know. He, he, he becomes a boss at the end right there. Yeah, it's good. You know, they send data down, of course, because everyone's favorite plot contrivance, hyperonic radiation. So they can't beam anyone down. It's deadly to humans, except for the humans that are down there. These colonists figured out how to adapt to this radiation somehow. And so they can't send anybody on the Enterprise down because they'll be affected by the radiation. But somehow these colonists aren't affected by radiation, but they also aren't affected by common sense either. (laughs) Maybe that's what happened. That's yeah. what they did. They removed their common sense, and the hyperonic radiation was just like, yeah, okay, it's whatever. melted out. I don't understand how they just got better. Well, yeah. Beverly says some stuff about virology or something like that, and I just don't know that that's how radiation works. I don't know. I just, that, listen, this is a really good episode, so we're just, we're just like kind of picking this kind of stuff apart, but they keep having to invent ways of making things not work because it doesn't work with the plot. We keep yeah, being right. told what a fabulous galaxy class spaceship this is but then they come across something like this where they you know they can't beam through the radiation and they can't send people down so they can only send data down and it it's kind of tortured and and to be honest you know what i subconsciously forgot about it because i thought it was so silly that i was halfway through the episode (laughs) and i was thinking why don't they send the rest of the crew down here again and i had to go back and yeah right right i had to go back and go well wait a second wait a second that's why because it's the gosh darn radiation didn't make any sense but because troy would get this done in like five minutes right or even Picard or Riker, would, because it's data, then it becomes a wacky series of comic misunderstandings. I like these episodes with data, of course, because Brent Spiner's so great at it and the character's so interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's real torture to put him in a situation where he's not around anybody else and he has to kind of function. And I, I think he does so much better when he has somebody to play off of. Or Near the beginning of the episode, I kept thinking, oh, man, why isn't Troy down there with him and Troy and data together? Yeah, right. Are, negotiating and then i was starting to become miserable again because of my poor deanna troy isn't being used but then she actually does get a lot of work to do in this episode but again the the episode is over in like five minutes if troy is down there because troy goes down there and says you know this is what you need to know because goshevin the head of the colonists says all these dumb things that you know i'm kind of yelling at the tv and again i also like this episode but at the same time this kind of stuff just drives me nuts when he's like we'll fight him and it's like, dude, what makes you think they're going to beam down there for you to fight them? What makes you think they even want to talk to you? They're going to nuke you from space, man. No. 
Didn't you ever see aliens? No, we'll fight them. Is this going to nuke the site from space? Listen, did you know, did you see what we did to that hyperonic radiation? We beat the shit out of it, man. <laughs> we could beat radiation. We could beat any stupid aliens. Come on. But then there's also that bit with the radiation where Picard's like, you know, hey, Jordy and O'Brien, I need you to make the, the transporters work even though they don't. Right. And that's kind of a funny running bit through the episode. Yeah. Which I kind of liked. There were some really funny scenes with that when when Picard comes in, he's like splendid. Comes, he comes in and he asks how, what their progress is, and they're about to start complaining about how they don't have enough time <laughs> to figure it out. They can't do it. There's right. no way it's going to happen. And Picard's like splendid, and turns around and walks out. And there's all these deformed cylinders. Like I don't know where the Enterprise just has like these cylinders right. laying around to beam somewhere and then beam back and they're all melty. Jordy keeps beaming back the cylinders and they're in in the uh, kind of like goop. Yeah, they're all gooed up. And Riker walks in and barks at him, right? And then Picard just walks in and he's just like, ha, 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 get it done, don't get it done. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's only 15,000 people. It's on your head, Jordy. Yeah. <laughs> Picard's drunk as fuck. He's walking in there going, you get it done yet? Nope. Okie doke. Will, did you read the script for this week? Did you see what predicament they put us in? Uh, yeah, Captain, I read it. Thing I thought I was going to go down there and like nail all those colonists before the bug people came and, you know, it didn't happen. Listen, listen, you can take a little radiation. <laughs> I saw what you did with that Bringoli last season. Wouldn't it be funny if we didn't do anything this episode and we made Geordi and that goofball with the red hair and engineering have to figure shit out? The most absurd moment in this whole episode, though, is when he's up there with that string quartet, like he's going to play cello. Yeah. Like, did you ever imagine that O'Brien, as, as crazy as Riker playing the trombone right. was when we first saw it, did you ever imagine O'Brien was going to whip out the cello? <laughs> no, no. I guess he really plays it. They note it. It never shows up again, but they do note it, I think, that he does play from time to time. That's just so weird. I it's know. like, you know, yo, where I come from, they call me Yo-Yo O'Brien. Any actors know how to play an instrument? Anyone? Anyone? Aye. Bring me a cello. I'll be happy to play it. Next to the robot. The wee robot man. <laughs> there you go. The music scene is is really an opportunity. It's a data scene in the beginning. And data is feeling pressure because he's going to perform. And he feels like he's just kind of playing the notes like a recording because he's this machine playing them. And of course, the thread is that he learns to imp well, which it's a, sort of a bookend to the right. episode, but it's it's a mirror, of course, of what's going to happen down on the planet because he's going to have to learn to synthesize some approaches to convince the colonists that they should leave too. So what happens when Data goes down there is he runs into this call these colonists, and there's fifteen thousand of them, but we only see about twenty, and you <laughs> know you they're expect, from the future, man? of course. I expected all fifteen thousand, <laughs> right. Dave. Uh, a, a flipping Stanley Kubrick film. But Data meets like some resistance on the planet, and you know they're from the future because, again, like like last episode, you, you have no collars. Oh. No collars, no loose robes, natural fibers. Right. They don't even have buttons. <laughs> it's all about the clasps. It's a buttonless uh, society, man. They don't believe. Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, buttons, that's, that's so 20th century. We are all about the clasps here because we have moved forward. Well, the radiation melted those buttons right off is what happened. <laughs> that's how they actually overcame the radiation. It, it has to do with the buttons. I mean, they obviously shop the same place Paul Stubbs does, the Banana Republic in space. Well, Banana Republic from the 80s, like the time that this was happening, yeah. All the uh, unlined jackets and stuff. Right. Yeah, I 
really dug the set. It's a big set, or at least they made it look very big. There's a couple different angles on it, and I know there's some you know, trickery to that, but they got a running water on the set. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, but it looks like a Palm Springs corporate retreat. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, the, the whole time I was like, you, you've never had to go on any of these no. things. No, have you? no. I, I've gone to a couple, and I actually went to a couple in Palm Springs. Really? And it looked just like that. <laughs> you know, this kind of faux Adobe thing they got going or whatever yeah. the heck it is. And they're, they're trying to make it look so, you know, like, oh, don't think corporate thoughts. Get get loose and back to your your primal self. I don't know. I just expected them to start, like, having trust exercises and building paperclip chains and shit. It just, it just looked like they were going to have some retreat. I'm going to facilitate some trust-building exercises between me and my crew. You'll take away some action commitments. Data, data, we're going to do a trust-fall exercise. I want you catching young Wesley Crusher. Oh, this is great. Thank you, Captain McCart. I, I get to participate, even though the episode is not about me. It's like, now it is. Okay, Data, here I come. Oh, no, Data, catch I'm sorry, young Crusher. Ah, I was just a little surprised is all. I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> uh, Mr. Worf, you can help Crusher. Captain. There you go. Okay. Lean back. Just relax. All right, Mr. Worf. Here I come. Oh, ah, ah! Ow. Shit. That hurt worse than when I fell back into the planner in the Justice episode, and they tried to put me to death. Captain. In my culture, trust is earned, not simply fallen into. Mr. Worf, let me show you how a trust fall really goes. Come, come I on. I don't know, Captain. My backside really smarts after two falls. Come on, Wesley. Uh, it's your captain. Oh, trust me. I'm really scared, Captain Picard, but you would never let me fall, so I... There, there. Close your eyes. I'm gonna do it. Here I come. Here I come. Have a little faith. Ah, 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 no! Ah, ah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Amazing! Did you see what I just did? He fell for it like three times, man. That's rich. A prank. A pratfall. Physical humor. Hey, you guys suck. If anybody's jumping on season three here and hasn't listened to all of our uh, rantings and ravings about Will Wheaton, this is supposed to be a no Wheaton hating uh, uh, zone because we're always chalking this Wesley stuff up to the writing and the production. That's right. That's right. There, there, Mr. Crusher. You're okay. Maybe next time your mom catches you, right? I'm a viable character. Supposedly, Will Wheaton yes. was shooting a movie in the summer, okay? Yes. This is in the days where if you had a contract with TV studio, that was your primary deal and you didn't, you didn't mess around with it. And so the producers called Wheaton back earlier than they needed to and insisted this episode was the episode they shot first in the season. Right, they, right. They rushed right. Wheaton back from the shoot of, a, of an actual movie he was in and- Yes. Got him onto the set and insisted that he be there because there were very important lines and scenes that he was going to have that were going to be character building that were going to reintroduce he and his mother. And Wheaton, Wheaton claims that when he got back, they cut all of his lines out of the episode because the pr producer was so pissed off with him. And so Wesley in this episode is just literally standing around in the background, has zero to say. Zero to do. And, and 
<laughs> the, the motion picture, if I'm not mistaken, was Valmont. Valmont. You're correct. It's like the, 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 the B-movie version of Dangerous Liaisons. Le, les Liaisons dangereuses. Oh, is that what it was? Who was in yes. that? Wait, who yes. was in that one? In, in Dangerous Liaisons? No, Valmont. John Malkovich and Glenn Close. No, that's Dangerous Liaisons. Nobody knows Will Wheaton was in Valmont because no one <laughs> they knows. Had, it, it, had, it, it, it also had some bigger thing. stars, though. Did it? I, I'm pretty sure it was not like A-list, but maybe. I mean, Will Wheaton was still a viable actor at this point with one foot sure. in, obviously, France and one foot in uh, Burbank. If, if I remember properly now, and I could be wrong because this was back in 1989, and I believe it stars Colin Firth, Annette Benning, Meg Tilly, Feruza Balk, Henry Thomas, Vince Chiavelli, the late Milos Forman. Oh, yeah, it was his movie. That's a big director. Yeah, $33 million uh, estimated budget. Well, Will Wheaton really has complained about his mistreatment on that show, and it ends up being the thing that makes him leave. He gets sick of being treated poorly and having to read bad lines. Yeah, being jerked around. Yeah, I don't blame him. The other fun story about this one is, of course, about Granger Hines, who plays uh, Goshevin, and apparently had his voice redubbed in the episode. He took his name off. He was just, like, appalled. And I've heard a couple of different things, that one, that he was unhappy with his performance, but others, that he just sounded too John Wayne-y. Okay. So they were like, we're going to redub his voice. Kind of like Andy McDowell had uh, Glenn Close do her lines for great that Greystoke movie back in the back in the day. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. There was a, a movie, Grace Stoke, The Legend of Tarzan. I saw it with Ian Holm. You went to the movies with Ian Holm? Yeah, that's weird. I, I mean, his voice in uh, Goishevin's voice must have been really bad. We've seen some weird and kind of stiff performances on this show from some of the guests. Yeah, definitely. It must have really been tough because they let some stuff go. I don't know if you remember um, Admiral Jameson when he came through last uh, season <laughs> one, but nobody dubbed anything. Annie! Annie with the golden hair. So yeah, uh, Glenn Close uh, had to, uh, apparently Annie McDowell did such a uh, subpar job. Wow. According to the producers and the director that they had Glenn Close come in and say, hey, could you, Glenn, Glenn, could you pretend to be Annie McDowell for a minute? So Granger Hines, I don't know who did Granger Hines' voice. I mean, maybe it was Glenn Close. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird because I, I, you know, in the episode, I didn't catch that it was dubbed, but I thought it was, I thought that it sounded weird. I thought... The guy was doing a stiff performance, and I've seen this guy in other stuff. I think he's no longer with us, but he he's familiar. No, he is. He's alive. No, no. I think he's dead. Anyways, how many times am I going to get these poor actors that are still living? I, I've put him in an early grave for you, Dave. He's still active. It says he's still active, so if he's dead, he's, All he's right. performing zombie pictures. So sorry. As far as this podcast is concerned, he's still alive for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> That's like Riker's poor dad dropped dead. <laughs> sorry. Do you think I had something to do with that? Like on some kind of death pool or something? Because <laughs> back in our episode, I just figured, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative, but the guy w looked like he was in his 70s on the episode where he plays Riker's dad. And as we noted back in season two, the Icarus factor People back yes. in the 80s look different than the old folks now. I mean, the guy was basically our age, and he looked like he was 70, you know, something. Mitchell Mitchell Ryan was his name. Right, and so I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that he was still with us, and I wasn't trying to be negative to the poor guy, but it's 30 years later, so yeah. it was hard to imagine he was still alive, but then he was still alive, and then we just found out the poor guy passed away <laughs> last week or something. 
Yeah, I what my understanding is that he heard the podcast episode and he was so appalled. <laughs> that was it. They're making fun of my Ambu Jitsu, honey. That was my favorite thing. <laughs> but the Goshevin character is really a weird character because he reminds me of of some current trends. Here he is being presented with evidence and he's like, "So, we're going to be fine. It's not going to matter. We don't need your help. Well, these people are coming from space. So, <laughs> And it's just like he's not a fan of facts no. or reason, right? The research means nothing to him. And I guess they don't have the internet on Tau Sigma Phi, so he can't look up the Shelliac corporate. Right. Because he's just automatically like, don't tell me what to do on my planet, man. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was just really lame brainery. And then he's influential somehow, which, uh, again, sticks. Yeah, he has some rallies. Right. Whips the people you know, he's up. He's kind of an imposing presence, so he's, he's got a threatening demeanor. So maybe that's what's going on, but you've got these people around him yeah. that are so, they're really pretty weak-willed. And I was chalking it up to that radiation again, because I there's just no sense to it. They're just so easily moved to his side. And then yeah. you've got Marjorie, who kind of has a flirtatious relationship with Data, and she's helping Data, and, and, and she's got some common sense, and nobody wants to listen to her. Well, she's the opposite number, right? So Gojman has that Pulaski problem where he's really anti-Android. He, you know, like when he gives a- right. data to zap ass, he's like, oh, you killed him. He's like, no, I just turned off a machine. <laughs> Dave is calling Marjorie, of course, the beautiful bang laden Marjorie is actually Ardrion McKenzie. The character name is Ardrion. You know, she's from the future because there's an apostrophe. Ard, Ard <laughs> apostrophe, Rion right. McKenzie. Right. Her real name is Eileen Seeley. Eileen Seeley, the person you get when Pam Dauber's busy. Right. right. I mean, she looks so much like Pam Dauber to me. I just kept thinking it was like a Mork and Mindy episode. And, I, I and Data was I, playing Mork. The character is a little dated, but she's... And and no, it, the, the, bangs are, the bangs are pretty bad. You know, she's hot for Data because she's into machines and computers, which kind of freaked me out a little bit. And it made me thought, I, I thought to myself, you know, how would Wesley would feel if like sensors came in the form of a woman? Right. Right. Would that would that be like Wesley be like, oh, oh, my gosh, I need to be alone. Mom, don't don't bother me for a while. I'm going to be in here with sensors. It's It just doesn't make any sense that she'd be hot for data because she's into machines and computers, which is what they're trying to sell us. Well, it's but it's because the rest of these guys are such dummies on the planet. And he seems to be the smartest one around, whether he's a, a machine or not. Wait, hold on a second. Hello. Hello. Who is it? Hello. Hello. Hello? Yes. Wesley, it's me. Who? Yes. It's me. Who is it? It's Who? me, Sensors. <laughs> Open the door. <laughs> Can I ask you, okay, so Data solves the problem. You know, he's talking to, to Marjorie, right. and you know, Data gets this, this brainstorm, so he modifies this phaser right. by taking a chip out of his arm, which is cool. I mean, that's cool. I dig that. The phaser doesn't work because of the same reason that the shuttlecraft does work, <laughs> but Data... <laughs> but the transporter doesn't work. Yes, right. So, so also phasers don't work. So he he's gonna he's gonna build his own phaser out of you know his own arm. Which yeah, I think that's cool too. And then he does something to that aqueduct. I mean, I like that moment. He's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna solve this problem with right. action, which demonstrates, of course, that he listens to you. <laughs> Finally, he starts popping people off with the phaser. And then he does something to the aqueduct, which I don't know what that is, but it looked really cool. Uh, there is a matte painting too. And the phaser shoots yes. up into the mountains, goes up the aqueduct that you can see in the painting, and and it causes you know trouble. 
Yes, it's the most exciting aqueduct <laughs> in all of science fiction. He uh, he threatens to destroy it, but that's like his first blow. And he finally brings up the fact that the Sheliak are just going to shoot you from space. That they're not going to come down for you to fight them with your rakes and hoes. They're not going to come down there at all. You're never going to see them. They're just going to blow you up from space, you dumbass. And that's the kind of thing that you really could have said at the beginning. Doesn't that shuttlecraft have some phasers on it or something? I mean, couldn't yeah. he have just like popped them from the air and just said, guess who I am? I'm the Sheliak. Watch. How about John Luke's up there and say, hello down there. Watch the shit. See that mountain over there? Okay, go for it, Jordy. And then they blow it up and they go, that's what the Sheliak are going to do to you when they come down. Do you remember back in the worst episode of Star Trek ever, Code of Honor, when Luton kidnapped Yar and, and Picard's like shooting phasers at the atmosphere, yeah. just like to, to try to muscle him? And it's like, well, that, why just do that here. Hey, dummies, how about yeah. a free ride out of an apocalypse? So that's what that's what settles it. You know, Data uses his phaser to make the point, And then suddenly they're all like, I guess we're being kind of stupid. <laughs> And they decide they're all going to leave. Right. But then up in space, so Picard's facing off of the Sheliak, and they don't want to communicate with him because the Sheliak think that humans are just like a subspecies. So Picard gets this idea. What he's going to do is he's going to intercept the Sheliak ship. So he takes the fucking Enterprise, and somehow in all of space, he's able to come face to face with this goddamn ship. Well, what do you, I mean, he, they could have known where they were, though. How? It's space. <laughs> I thought they knew they were coming, so maybe they knew where they were. But there's an infinite number of routes. It's not like the Sheliak ship was on the five. Oh, okay. And, you know, get on the 210 heading to Pasadena or something. <laughs> right. It's, it's they could go any direction at any angle. And then Picard just happens to meet them face to face, nose to yes. nose. And he says that ridiculously stupid thing. It's like, you know, if they move, you move. Match a move for move. It's space. <laughs> These are smart guys. They can do it, Andrew. So go back to the battle, Dave. Remember the fucking Picard maneuver? Right. The whole idea of the Picard maneuver is you punch it into warp, and it appears that your ship's in two places. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So so what if the Sheliak's just like, oh, we've read your book. <laughs> we read your book, Johnny. You don't. If you Listen, if you've watched any amount of Star Trek, you know they never do a thing twice. I know, but but it's like, and then, then we just had the other, the peak performance where Worf was doing that crap with the sensors and making it appear like there's other ships. Right. There's so many things we can expect the Sheliak <laughs> to do. Well, well, look. But instead, they're just like, whoa, the Enterprise is in front of us. We, we can't move. <laughs> well, okay. I, I was willing to put up with that because then we get Picard on that ship with Troy. I mean, Troy has not done anything. I swear to God, all last season, she had that baby, and that's a big deal. And so maybe she needed to take the rest of the season off. But she just did very little in season two. <laughs> Here she is, and she's doing it, man. She's like on the ship, and, and she's feeling things, man. She's in there feeling the whatever the psychic stuff that's coming out of them or their emotions or whatever. She's feeling it, man. But how is she? Okay. Here, here, here's a here's a geek point for you. If they're so different that they have no frame of reference, which is what they say, they have no common frame of reference with the Federation, right. which is what made it hard for the Sheliak and the Federation to, to come to this treaty, the Treaty of Armand. But she's able to feel their, their feeling? I don't get it. Because she also said that telepaths were not helpful. Aha, uh -huh, telepath day. And uh, communicating right? with the Sheliak. So how the hell, how is she empath? I don't know, but she's doing a good job at it. She, I mean, I, I'm just happy to see her. 
I I don't even care. I was just like, come on, just she's doing something, man. She's she is actually vital in this episode. And I God bless it, man. The actor is a good actor. And she's got some more stuff to do coming up. And we get to see her do some more hard work. And I, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but originally she was picked for Yar. Yeah, Every right. Once in a while, we kick around this idea, like if and, and Denise Crosby was going to play Deanna Troy, and so right. alternate universe, there's a Star Trek series that has a Yar still on it and no Troy because. Crosby would have quit. Oh yeah, Denise Crosby definitely would have walked on that role. So you would have had her as Yar. But there's also there's also an alternate Star Trek universe years where the the late Mitchell Ryan is Jean Luc Picard, <laughs> and Billy Campbell is William Riker. So there's a really shitty Star Trek series out there somewhere in an alternate reality. Colin Farrell plays uh, Wesley Crusher <laughs> in that universe. <laughs> Well, I don't understand why the Shelly Act don't shoot the Enterprise when the, when the Enterprise is in the way, right? right? It's like the Shelly Act just kind of take it. They're just like, yeah, okay, I guess you're just going to be in the way. Gosh, we're just so fucking helpless here. At least they didn't do that thing where the Shelly Act says, you have 10 minutes to get out of the way. Oh, oh, yeah, right. right. I mean, they just sort of take yeah, it. Yeah, that is funny. It's like, it, I don't know if it was like they're rule bound by the engagement with them or something and they, they didn't know what to do or... I mean, but it didn't stop them from insisting that they were going to colonize that planet. They wouldn't even give the the colonists a couple extra weeks to leave. They were just going to go and obliterate them. Yeah, sure. Which, you know, makes sense to me. As far as the Sheliak are concerned, they got like an infestation, a roach infestation. They're just going to come and tent the planet. I don't know. I would at least like to see them try to get past the Enterprise or something or just suddenly, you know, like veer to the left and suddenly go right or something like that. Because the show is still so old, they just can't afford to do anything. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if it was a modern show, even if the battle wasn't going to go anywhere, you would just have some action sequence where there was a chase or something. So you'd have something happening that would be a little more active. And I and I don't don't get me wrong. This episode has got the the right amount of action for this show, uh, which is a lot more action than we've seen in most episodes from season two. Yes, and lots of natural fiber uh, wardrobe. <laughs> so you want to talk about this ending yeah. scene because we did talk a little bit about the the beginning with the the string quartet, and Data goes over to Bev and Jean Luc and says, "You know, you might want to come to a latest show because there's going to be someone else playing, and it's going to be better because I'm just a robot." That's what Data says to them, right? Yes, that's exactly what he says. That is word for word what he says. And then Crusher's like, uh, Data, don't, you know, don't harsh my mellow, man. I mean, I'm getting all excited about seeing this. And you're coming over here telling me, uh, you, you're telling me that you're going to fail before you even make the attempt. I mean, it's just not, that's not what we want to hear from you. Data's feeling nervous. This is the first music scene. In the beginning. Is he feeling nervous? Well, whatever that is. I mean, he doesn't want them to, doesn't want to be embarrassed or he doesn't want them to waste their time or whatever by having to hear his machine interpretation of the music. In that second scene, he reveals that he combined the techniques of two different violinists. And Picard does say that to him. It's like, you know, your performance shows great feeling, Mr. Data. Nice one. Your playing is quite beautiful. It's because Data uses his creative brain and put, or whatever he has in there, and puts these two performances together and then creates something new. Like, he actually invents a new version of the music. Yeah, it's it's synthesis. It's collage. It's it's combining techniques to get a different result. That's a perfectly legitimate creative practice. I mean, it, it's, it, it totally works. I have no problem with that. 
And I thought that was a nice solution around it. And Picard does make a valid point. Look, you right. chose those two to put together. You are right to do it. I don't care what anyone else says, Mr. Data. You're just as real as anyone else on the ship. You're just like a real boy. There, there. Listen, listen, Data. Let me tell you something. <laughs> They're just contact lenses and paint, all right? You're a real person under there. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> the director comes in and goes, ah, excuse me, uh, Mr. Mr. Stewart, you're not supposed to. It's an illusion. You know, we're supposed to believe he's a robot. And if you go around telling people he's not a robot, then, you know, it kind of ruins the illusion. You know, you're also not in space, uh, Mr. Stewart. You understand that, right? Yes, yes. Listen, I, I do what I want. Have you seen my one-man performance? It's about to come out. Hello? <laughs> I did see his Christmas Carol. He was really good. I know I was, and I'm going to win a flipping Tony for it, for God's sakes. You did a lovely job, Thank Sir you. Patrick. Thank you very much. Thank you for entertaining me and my family. I, I you know, I wish I'd seen that. I, I, I didn't. I didn't at the time. I, I wish I'd seen it. I hope after he's done doing Picard season three, he pulls that out one more time on tour. What do you think? Wait, let me see. Let me see, honey. Hold on. Any other franchises I need to wrap up before? Have you seen a... Uh, uh- Picard season two yet? One episode one? No, I haven't had a chance. I'm excited to hear that first two episodes are good, though. The first two episodes, they move at what I would like to call a clip. I, I believe that they are uh, listening to this podcast and they're like, you know, they the, the, those two yahoos, <laughs> they make a good point that we need to have some action in here. I am so excited about when, when the first season of Picard came out. I was more excited about that than anything else you know we get all these movies now things that andrew and i when we were kids would never have imagined they'd make movies about all these yeah, superheroes absolutely. and all of this science fiction i was showing my kid some old movie we were watching tron okay yeah and he was like yeah i don't know and Meh. i said you don't understand when this movie came out there was nothing else it wasn't like right. it was tron right. versus exactly. another great science fiction movie so this is it. The next summer, there might be another science fiction movie. Like This is like a golden time for all of this stuff. We've been surprised by all these shows being reinvented and these reunion shows, and then some movies that have been reinvented and don't turn out so great that you right. really looked forward to. In my wildest dreams, I never thought we'd see these characters again. Right. I'm happy to hear that it's good. And I know a lot of people have issues with Discovery and feeling that it violates some of the main tenets of Star Trek. At the same time, it's like you got to push forward. I'm a real fan of them trying different things. Even maybe it's not as faithful to, to Gene. Even if it's not as faithful to my vision, my vision ultimately is head for the future, Dave. Claw, claw. You know what, uh, Mr. Roddenberry, I, I just want to remind you, don't push too hard, though. That's how we get hemorrhoids. <laughs> I'll have Magell put some preparation H. Come on, Magell, <laughs> warm it up. Don't just go in cold like you did last time. I think we theme? have done as much as we possibly can do with Ensigns of Command. I, I, I feel that we have been in command of this episode. I'm I'm putting that on, on the good shelf where all the good episodes should be. It's a good one. I still wish it were about me, though. Oh, Wesley, shut up. This is why no one likes you. Shut up, Crusher! Next time we have an episode that I think about quite a bit. I, I gotta tell you, this is an episode that stuck with me, mainly because <laughs> there's an unseen alien race called the Hoosnock. 
Hoosnock. Hoosnock. You know why I'm excited about it, Andrew? I, I, you might already know this. I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but it's another Entity episode. But I got to tell you, this one's a little chilling. The end to this one is is memorable. It's an interesting episode, and uh, I'm excited to watch The Survivors, episode three. So until next time, everybody, I will constantly always remain your beloved diplomatic liaison to the world of Star Trek, Ambassador Andrew. And I will remain your steadfast commander, Commander Dave. E-Dave. E-Dave. <laughs> Dave. E-Dave. Yeah, that's my name, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Dave forgot his name, listeners. I'm getting tired, man. And we'll see you next time on STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Let's go mind the store. Cat of a card, can you can you help me mind the store? Cause I want to find some new dirty pants. <laughs>
No dolphins or young boys named Harry were hurt in the making of this podcast. I don't know if that's true. Eh? Shut up, Harry. Shut up. So, Gene, I, you know, I wanted you to be the agent. I should have said that. Oh, well, you're always the agent. Let me do the agent. I know. Okay. You should have been the agent because I, I don't want to be talking to myself. That's I know. Weird. That's why I was trying to interject because it was, it, was, it was all you talking to you yeah. about you. 